Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Sports Weekly India. We've got, as always, Ayaz Memon, RK and we're joined by Swami Arora as well. As you'd imagine, our focus for this week will be on the FIFA World Cup that's just about kicked off in Qatar. Uh, we've had the opening game already and while a lot of controversy has been swirling around this particular event for more than you know, a few years now. Uh, I'm sure some of you have also seen the FIFA Uncovered documentary, which adds more to that. We'll try and focus for as much as we can on uh, the action that has happened and that's expected to come up. We'll also speak briefly about the Indian selection committee that was very unceremoniously booted out after India's uh, World Cup debacle in Australia. Uh, and we have a roundup of the F1 as well. Before we start though, here's your routine reminder to subscribe to us and to follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please remember to leave us a rating. It definitely helps us. Let's get into it. Swamil, I want to start with you today. The World Cup is on and there is, of course, a lot to talk about, but Let's go through which teams you think have the best chance, which teams could be the underdogs and therefore dark horses. Huh, the teams with the best chance, it's actually pretty clear. Uh, Brazil, Argentina are the big favourites. Now, they had this big fixture at the Copa America last year that Argentina ended up winning. And they've been on a tremendous streak of, I think, God knows how many games won consistently in the international stage. Around 30, which is, I think, a record that's never been set before. But the point is, they've got very well-balanced lineups. For Argentina, there's a more sentimental value because Lionel Messi could be playing his last World Cup. But the fact is, it's a very young squad that has delivered on the European stage as well. So, you've got a very good lineup over there. And same with Brazil too, because they've got lots of players that, sure, you might look at at the club level and say, well, are they really fantastic? But at the international stage, they've assembled a squad that's been working really, really well. And these two will be the major titans, I suppose. But... On the international stage, you can never count out teams like Germany or Spain as well, right? Even though they look a little bit toothless at this stage. Okay, what's your assessment? You're an avid football follower. What do you think? Uh, how do you think the teams line up? Samuel said, when you're looking at the international stage, there are these big boys that obviously uh, you follow, the Brazils and the Argentinas. Germany, when it comes to the World Cup, barring one or two big events, they've always shown up, despite the fact that they've been doubters. When you look at such a big event, there are different angles to it. I mean, you look at, say, a team like France, and then you say, I mean, look, th- there are some superstars out there, but there is this perennial aspect of implosion with respect to the France squad that you talk about with respect to the World Cup. And quite on the other side of the spectrum, I'm curious to watch how far the Netherlands go uh, because of so many factors. Look, it's not the strongest looking Netherlands side. At the same time, you've got a manager who's gone through a lot in his personal life. So I always look at when it comes to these World Cups, I always try to look out for some angles which will bond a particular unit. Because Louis van Gaal has come out of absolutely nowhere. He wanted to take this side. He wanted one last victory lap, so to speak. He suffered from cancer. He's undergone treatment. He hardly let people know. He hardly let his team know that he was suffering from cancer. And he has come out. And only after the team qualified that he actually told his boys that, look, such and such a thing happened. So I think on a very, very emotional side of things, I've always looked at sport from that side as well. So is this the year when Netherlands, which has missed a couple of big tournaments in the past, 
Uh, Virgil van Dijk, for example, hasn't captained Netherlands in big tournaments, probably because he's had his fair share of injuries. You know, Netherlands themselves did not qualify for a couple of big ticket events. I know it's a slightly defensive unit. It's it's a bit off the ball, but I wouldn't be surprised. And, and the group that they are placed in, Ecuador, Netherlands, Senegal, Qatar. So we've already seen Ecuador and Qatar in action. I just get a feeling that maybe, who knows, Netherlands, for, for a few reasons beyond just the obvious reasons, might be in as a bit of a dark horse. So besides the other ones that obviously that Samuel was talking about, the Brazils, the, the Argentina, Spain, Germany, these are all, you know, you would never want to count them out. Belgium have been the perennial underachievers. You would want to see them do well. So these are things that just prop up in my mind, actually. And there's also a lot of key players that are missing. We just found out recently that Karim Benzema is not going to be there. So that affects France's setup. At the same time, Sadio Mane is missing. Quite a few big names missing. And do you really think it's all necessarily fitness related? Samil? Yeah, I mean, in the case of many players, it is. Uh, for Benzema, it is. For Sadio Mane, it is. Son Heung-min is also travelling, but I'm not really sure if he's going to be able to play because his eye socket has been fractured. There's lots of players who've just suffered injuries at bad, bad times. And at the end of the day, some might say it sort of dampens the glamour of the World Cup. I don't think it does because, of course, the players end up making the tournament, but there's more about the World Cup. I think it's greater than the sum of its parts at the end of the day. But... The fact is, we might see a slightly degraded quality of football because a lot of these players have been key players in the plans of all their teams. The moment you take them out, the system changes, the approach changes, what you do with them, especially for a team like Senegal that is so reliant on Sadio Mane for goals, all of a sudden you're facing a half-cooked squad. What do you do in a case like that when you've got such a tough group? Moving a little off the pitch, uh, Ayaz, the whole scandal that has been around since almost 2009 about corruption, about everything that went on and how Qatar won the rights to host the tournament. How do you see that playing out from a fan's perspective? There's obviously a lot of restrictions that fans are having to face. There seems to be a little bit of fear among travelling fans. Do you think that will affect the experience and therefore uh, the game on the pitch? I really don't think so. I think it's such a mega global event that finally people will wear around to concentrating on the football. Uh, as uh, Samuel mentioned, some of the standard may not be very high for some teams. But it is, hey, the World Cup. So I think the attention will be there. Now, this whole thing about the controversy and you know all kinds of stories that have been building around this World Cup is not something which has happened in the last fortnight. Though there's been a flurry of such stories, uh, it's been building up since the time Qatar got the World Cup. Obviously, pros and cons to all kinds of stories, including those who have labored hard, some have lost lives, whether they've got adequate compensation or not, what conditions they worked in to build up the massive infrastructure needed. But I also take the point that this is not novel or new to only one country. When you build an, you know, a World Cup, you plan that and you build stadia and, and, and the infra for that. All countries which have had or hosted the World Cup would face similar problems. I actually buy the buy the thought that, you know, there's been too much criticism because it is Qatar. Now, I'm not saying about the FIFA corruption thing. Uh, that's, that's a different aspect altogether. This is about what is happening within the Qatar, you know, and whether they should have got the, the World Cup or not. If you had only democratic countries which, which would get it or liberal countries, then you wouldn't have had the Olympics in Beijing, would you? Uh, so, I mean, you know, one has to make allowance for the, these kinds of things. There is a kind of a, a divide within the media and, you know, sections of people who, are, who will see 
one one aspect is worthwhile the other is not i think we'll have to we'll have to live with it i hope that it goes incident free after all of this uh, and we get to see a great world cup a lot of action lined up and we'll obviously be talking about that as it unfolds moving on to cricket ayaz selection committee got booted out and what does that say is that the right course of action after how india performed at the world t20 well you know right or not i think it's a show of intent but really i think it's it's in a sense quite misdirected if you ask me ultimately in today's day uh, in cricket the selectors don't pick players unless they have the buy in from the coach and the captain uh, you know it's not that players are foisted on the on the team management so to speak they have this and as they should because captains take the field with the players they are responsible for what happens on the field so why should they bear or carry the cross if the selectors have goofed up but my contention is that this could end up becoming like a red herring ki humne selectors ko sack kar diya now we are you know starting afresh but you ask for now you know new names the bcc has put up a invitation for those who want to be selectors by the 28th of this month they are supposed to you know send in their applications and i venture to say that if the new bunch of selectors come in and if they were asked to pick a team immediately would it be so dramatically different from the one which played in the world cup i doubt it which selection committee would have left out rohit sharma kl rahul virat kohli and so on you know able you could say dinesh karthik or not maybe but at that point in time rishabh pant is also in the squad akshar patel or ashwin or yuzvendra patel actually all three were in the squad what happened was some of these guys didn't didn't play or they were not selected to play the matches like rishabh pant didn't play all the matches though he's seen as the x factor fabulous record in australia and so on and so forth yuzvendra patel match winning bowler comes back into the national team because of his match winning ability everybody and his first cousin or second cousin says that in australian pitches leg spinners are always uh, you know your likely match winners because of the big grounds there's no real threat ki they'll be smacked out on the ground it, it takes a lot to hit the ball out of the ground but they were not played now is that the fault of the selectors i doubt it i think what where it's right what what seems to me to be a step in the right direction is that there is an attempt to fix at accountability but i think and i'm ending you know get my sound a little esoteric here actually for me the solution not doesn't lie in just having a new bunch of five selectors wherever they may come from and they may be very fine people with excellent credentials but it depends on how the conversation within india cricket changes are we going to talk about or how to win matches how to win tournaments this whole year till the team went to the world cup we didn't hear much about how we are going to win the world cup did we we heard more about we made 50000 crore in selling media rights for the ipl which is great which is fantastic and then what else since the world cup happened and it, it was a flop show by india since then we've only heard about how we flopped post mortems copious post mortems and now of course the selection panel or selection committee sacked have you heard a word and we've heard some things about how next year's world cup odi world cup to be played in india what needs to be done but before the next t20 world cup and before the next odi world cup we've got the world test championship coming up in 7 8 months 9 months not a beep out of anybody about how we and we have a very good chance of making it to the final again is anybody even talking about it no and this is where i feel that you know 
more than all the brouhaha we keep hearing about how great Indian cricket is and we got some fantastic players, fantastic talent, great pool. The IPL is a great tournament. But why is it that since 2013, in maybe five or six tournaments, we've either flopped in the semi-finals or we flopped in the final. The World Test Championship final, we should have won in 2021. We didn't. The 2019 World Cup, ODI World Cup, we failed against New Zealand in the semi-final. This time we failed against England in the semi-final. Last year, we failed in the T20 World Cup completely. And I'll just it's not just about the tournaments. We failed to beat South Africa in South Africa in test matches after winning the first test. You know, so I think that there is a conversation which needs to start, which looks at repositioning or it's not rebranding and rebooting alone uh, by just selecting new players and new selection panel. I think the conversation within Indian cricket, what are players talking to each other? What are the coaches talking about? What is the demand made by the BCCI on the selectors, on the coaches and the players? RK, you think this is a situation of, you know, blame being deflected from on-field to off-field? And is this to kind of gloss over the failures of the leadership on the field? I mean, two major personnel that need questioning, I would say, Rahul Ravid, Rohit Sharma, especially uh, in the last tournament's performance. Yeah, first things first, uh, I would want to see what happens from here on. Look, as, as we speak about after a performance, there has to be accountability, there has to be a decision taken, and therefore a decision has been taken. I'm curious to understand what happens from here on. The reason why I say that I is because I think in um, a couple of chats earlier, we've spoken about the need to be dramatically different in the way you start thinking about the game itself. T20 cricket is a completely different beast. It's almost as if a game of chess is being played with every ball, where every ball is considered an event. What are the kinds of players that you need? And therefore, what is the kind of selection panel that you need? Are you going to go in with names who have done well in the past in different formats or are you willing to completely look at it differently and say that i want so and so to be there looking at the nook and corner of india to pick up talent i know there is ipl which serves you fresh talent year after year after year is there more churning required are we looking at going the football way where i'm saying doesn't matter who the player is he might be a great player but if he does not fit into uh, a position of a right back, I'm sorry, he cannot be a part of the team. Are you willing to go that way? Are you willing to bring in an analyst? How do, say, you know, IPL teams pick up players? I mean, uh, you, you look at why uh, a CSK has been successful. You look at why a Mumbai Indians has been successful. You look at the way teams are being assembled. Now, I'm only going back to, say, an English cricket team. And you say, in, in the top seven of the English cricket team, the T20 team, you can play almost anybody anywhere. That is the amount of flexibility that you're having. But you look at, say, an Indian cricket team. Now, uh, if you do not play one or two or three players in their own positions, there is no way you can play, uh, they, you can play them down the order. So that is the flexibility that I'm looking at. Is that the Indian team offering you that kind of flexibility? I'm afraid the answer is no. I mean, they've had uh, David Milan playing down at number seven in one game. You suddenly promote a Moin Ali up the order. That flexibility is completely missing in that Indian team. You look everywhere, there is a bowling option that is available for the English cricket team. I'm sure that is not the case with uh, the Indian cricket team. So are you willing to completely take out T20 and bring in fresh minds to think about what we need to do and how we need to go about T20 cricket? I think that hasn't happened. Individual franchises have managed to do that with respect to IPL. But as, as a unit, 
the Indian team somehow hasn't been able to replicate that. that. That's where fundamentally I would differ in the way I would start thinking about T20 cricket and therefore execute the plans. I mean, you don't think it's very strange that we have what is touted to be the world's best T20 league and we haven't won the world title since the inaugural year. Well, you can argue in different manners. I'm, say, for example, Somal is a huge football fan, right? I mean, English Premier League is probably the biggest league in the world. Is that how you would call it? Why did I know you were going there? No, yeah, I mean, that's the, look, just because you have the greatest league doesn't automatically translate into titles. What does a biggest league mean? I think we need to be very clear about that. The biggest league would essentially mean the world's biggest players come in and take part in that league. What you do there is a result of, you know, different superstars occupying important positions. Now, when they go off, you're still left with your own players and who's going to occupy those important slots is the way you're going to look at it. EPL, again, I go back to that. It's probably the biggest league in the world. That doesn't automatically mean that England wins every major uh, footballing event. You've got those individual superstars, but that doesn't mean everybody come together and play in a way that is required to make the English football team win. While I'm very proud of the fact that IPL is the biggest tournament in the world, but that doesn't automatically guarantee you Team India victories. It just, it shows, it throws up talent. It, it's up to you to assemble that talent and do it. Ayaz, you have something to add? You know, I, I'm a little concerned that we are, we are still talking only about T20. That is gone. You know, the next tournament is two years later. So whatever needs to be done, yes, I take all the points that are made by RK. You look at players who are flexible, versatile. And that's because T20 is evolving every day, match by match. And we really don't know. There's no fixed template. This is one of the things which is kind of, you know, I found quite irksome. That everybody talked of this template that we are going in with in the, in the World Cup. And, you know, we'll go there and we'll smash the bowlers around. And this is what we'll do and that is what we'll do. And actually, England showed through Ben Stokes, you don't need to do all of that. You, know, you must know how to win matches. The two innings that Ben Stokes played to take his team to the title were actually a strike rate of 94, 95 or maybe 101, 102, not 170. You know, in the, in the semi-final, in, in the final against Pakistan and before that against Sri Lanka. So... Maybe on another day, he would have scored at a rate of 170, 175. So that's the versatility. I think when you look at all three formats and you look, therefore, at the state of Indian cricket is what I feel we are not paying enough attention. So right now, we are talking only of T20. Everybody's talking of T20. Selectors are being sacked. So-and-so, this is happening, that is happening. But my point, which I made earlier, your next big assignment is actually the World Test Championship. After that is the... ODI World Cup. After that is the T20 World Cup. And if you look at the last 6-7 years, maybe longer, maybe from 2011, when we played the ODI World Cup at home, India have started favourites if or joined favourites for each tournament. In 2011, we started favourites, we were playing at home, we won that tournament. 2013, we went to Champions Trophy, we were favourites, we won that tournament. 2015, we were joint favourites with Australia, we didn't, we got knocked out in the semis. And subsequently, we've been losing every... 2019, we were favourites. This time, going into the World Cup, we were... You know, I mean, to, to, to us, when we've spoken about this, England looked the best team. But India were joint favourites, along with maybe Australia, home team, and then certainly England. And then what happens is you lose in the semi-finals. In fact, you struggle to reach the semi-finals. If you look at Bangladesh, you beat by on the last delivery, just about managed to survive. And two other victories came of the last ball, you know. 
So I, I think that one needs to look at it a little holistically. And that's what I'm saying, that the conversation can't be only unidimensional, that we've lost T20, you know, all the attention is only on T20, but that's two years away. Absolutely. Swamil, so, do you want to add something here as an avid cricket follower and a fan? Do you think there are fixes that can happen on the ground first, necessarily, before we look off the ground? Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with it because at the end of the day, as you rightly mentioned, Ayaz, it's about match winners and what Ben Stokes did clearly. Sure, strike rates, they do matter, but you have to play according to the situation of the game. And we've been talking a lot about intent and all of these buzzwords, but essentially it's just playing according to the game as well. And that I think India missed out, uh, especially in the semi-finals over the years that you've looked at. We've consistently seen our openers getting out in pressure moments. And sure, you can't blame that to the selection committee, right? Uh, if, if I was a selector, why would I not select Rohit Sharma? The record's been impeccable. He's led his domestic team to five IPL titles. Sure enough, he would be the natural leader. But over the years in these semi-finals, he's unfortunately not delivered. So can you blame that on the selectors or should he first focus more on what's happening on the ground? I'd say the latter. And that, I think, is a momentary thing and that, of course, goes down to the leadership that you also have in the group and what sort of trust you show. And with Hardik Pandey, of course, we're seeing decent signs. Again, could be a red herring completely, but what happens on the field is the more important part right now, I feel. Off the field, sure, there are other things to work on, but it's not the first priority, in my opinion. Well, that's a debate that's going to continue to rage and I really don't know when we'll find a solution to that. If you ask me, I think you need three different coaches for three different formats. Maybe the limited overs could have a shared coach, but definitely three captains for three formats given how the teams are starting to stack up where we're not necessarily repeating players from one format in another. Well, moving on to some other sporting action from around the world. Somil, what's happening in F1? The season's over and there's also been a major retirement. Talk us through everything that's happening on the track. Oh yeah, uh, Formula 1, well, it's been a weird, weird year. We saw Max Verstappen dominate everything. We, I think he's won 15 races out of the 21 we've had this year. And his record has been remarkable. But in the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix as well, he did exactly the same. But... That wasn't the focus. That was never meant to be the focus for this race. The championship had been wrapped up. The closest fight to watch for was P2, which ended up being a boring one. I'll get to that in a second. But Sebastian Vettel has unfortunately retired. Now, unfortunate for us, those of us who absolutely love his personality, if you don't know Sebastian Vettel, initially started off as a driver who everybody hated. He had this little arrogance about him. He would dominate. He would win everything. He won four championships in a row and everyone was like, wow, Sebastian, let's, let's just get rid of you. We, we don't want to see more of you. But over the years, he's matured like a fine bottle of wine. He's focusing a lot on what the planet needs. He's great into equal, uh, equality and inclusion of people and diversity. And he's worked very, very hard to ensure that, yeah, social equality can be done, even in places like Qatar and Saudi Arabia, where it's not quite allowed. He's gone there and protested. So he's become this lovable figure of sorts, sort of like a father figure. And for sure, his performances have not been as great in the last couple of years because the team hasn't quite been able to support him. And plus, he's lost a little bit of his edge. But people just now love Sebastian Vettel for a great human being. And now he's out of the sport. And in the most Sebastian Vettel way, he said... There are better things to do than just go racing. There are bigger challenges. There are bigger goals for us to focus on. And I just want to spend time with my family. And that's that's it. That's why he's left. And I, I just find it remarkable. What a character, what a personality. But at the end of the day, these people who make the sport. And it's amazing that he's using this platform 
to create awareness about all these other important things in life. But that's Vettel retired. Sergio Perez of Red Bull Racing unfortunately couldn't get second place because he had a terrible race in the last race. So Charles Leclerc of Ferrari, who once was seemingly a championship contender, guys, has now ended up finishing second. So these are the major stories, but largely it's just all the pain from Sebastian Vettel retiring and also his protege, Mick Schumacher, Michael Schumacher's son, not being on the grid for 2023 because his drives weren't quite good enough. That's a major story as well. Well, thanks for that wrap. RK, let's have a quick chat about how Novak Djokovic is actually now the greatest tennis player. He won the NITO ATP finals for a record sixth time. And he very honestly seemed like he had just brushed off Casper uh, Ruud, who was in red-hot form. I mean, is this guy stoppable at all? Well, to be honest, I think uh, with respect to Novak Djokovic, I mean, it's a lot about things that he does off the fee, off the uh, court that comes up for discussion. And therefore, we even doubt his credentials of being the greatest ever tennis player. Purely in terms of numbers and the way he gets better and better and better with every passing year. And suddenly we are just turning around and saying, look, there is no Roger Federer. Uh, Rafa Nadal is not at the peak of his powers. And therefore, he can, you know, kind of add a little bit more to his trophy list. Is somehow being disrespectful, I would say, with respect to Novak Djokovic. Uh, Novak Djokovic, the person might not have too many fans, might have uh, stirred up a debate or two. But I guess Novak Djokovic, the professional tennis player, you should never be in doubt about what he is capable of doing or what he has done in the past. And the latest victory is just a case in point, I would think. And it looks that he's just getting better and better and he's just feeding off everything that is happening around him. And I think, where are we? November, right? I mean, so he's, he's there for the Australian Open. Let's start afresh. Absolutely. And what do you think about Rafa Nadal now? Has he reached the end of the line? He seems to be struggling even when he seems he's fit. So is this is this the start of the end? Do we see him play all the majors next year? Or this is really the starting of the end of the second of the big three? I, I think he did mention something to that extent, isn't it? Not about the retirement, but it's about the amount of effort that he would have to put in to get back to playing to the levels that he expects to operate in or the levels that he has operated in. In terms of uh, his body, it's it's obviously tired. It's not the same anymore. He's had his fair share of injuries. It's It's not as if it was a bit like Federer. Federer, to be fair, throughout his career hasn't had uh, major injuries. It was only towards the latter part. I think he had suffered from glandular fever, if I'm not mistaken. So that was one of those injuries, not injuries. I mean, that was one of the issues that he had. And then, of course, the knees did give way. The back seemingly was giving way. And then eventually he decided that is that. But I think with respect to uh, Rafa Nadal, it's been more than once where he has come back from injuries. But I'm afraid, I think... Uh, I wouldn't say it's immediate, but I think we are obviously looking at uh, the final few tournaments, so to speak, of Rafa Nadal. I'll be very happy to be surprised, but uh, I, I think that's that there. And just a quick chat about who some of the big names we should look out for next year. are. I'll be honest, I'm very disappointed with how Medvedev's shaped up after winning a couple of majors, but uh, he's just been very unreliable. I find Rublev extremely volatile on his day. He's absolutely unstoppable. But for the rest of it, he seems to just spend most of his time on court talking to himself and his box. Samil, do you have any favorites uh, from some of the newer breed coming up? 
I think I'll have to go with Kasparud and Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, Rude, unfortunately, he just lost in the in the NATO finals, but he's been showing signs of improvement every now and then. I think a couple of years ago, you could see it coming that okay, this guy is good, but maybe not to get to that level. But suddenly he's turned up the notch in the last year, and I particularly like what he's doing. But as for Carlos Alcaraz, I think just give it time. He's won that one big Grand Slam now. The pressure is on him, but suddenly just getting it to the levels of Nadal and Djokovic will be. A little bit tricky, but I think in the next couple of years, these are the names we should be watching out for. As, of course, Djokovic gets on older as well. Awesome. And one last on-the-spot question for everyone. Please pick your winner of the FIFA World Cup and we will come back to this at the end of the tournament. Let's start with you, RK. Why don't I go with uh, somebody completely out of the box and just go Netherlands, maybe? Are you betting on that? Have you put some money down somewhere? Not at all. Not at all. I'm not that rich. (laughs) (laughs) Samuel, who's your pick? I I genuinely want to see Uruguay or Denmark win because they both have amazing squads. And we have seen upsets happen in FIFA World Cups. Of course, none to the extent that a team has gone and won it. But I I hope that this is the year it changes. But the heart says them too. The mind would actually have to go with Argentina. This squad is way, way too good for that. Wow. Okay. That'll be something. That'll be quite a swan song for uh, Messi. Uh, Ayaz, do you have any picks, the one pick, who you think will win the tournament? One and only I want is uh, Brazil. You know, I mean, as a lifelong diehard supporter, uh, I know they've been through ups and downs, dales and hills and valleys for the last 20-25 years, but maybe this is their year. So we've got Brazil, the Netherlands and Argentina and uh, I'll go with England. Let's see how that pans out. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen. You never know. It could happen. It's been a long time coming. I'm playing the law of averages, to be honest. So, let's... No, I I was actually shocked that we've had uh, so much discussion around football. We haven't even spoken about England. Glad that he brought it up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they made it. Unlike Italy. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. So... Well, thank you so much, gentlemen. It's been an amazing episode. We'll be back next week with a lot more football. And, well, there's some minor cricket happening as well, which we'll always be talking about. Until then, thank you so much. Thanks everyone for tuning in. See you next week. Bye-bye. Cheers.